0: Hey, this is the K Ray Reads to You Podcast, and I am K Ray, and today I'm reading chapter eight the, uh, <laughs> today I'm reading chapter eight of the Talking Parcel by Gerald Durrell, and chapter eight is called The Battle for Castle Cockatrice and it's pretty long so I think I'll actually split it into two parts, so this is chapter eight, part one. Oh also it's a beautiful sunny warm day here in San Diego, so I've set up my microphone outdoors so you might hear more bird song and airplanes than usual. Anyway, here we go. The Battle for Castle Cockatrice As soon as the party made their way back to the crystal caves with the precious lavender and rue, a period of intense activity began. To begin with, Ethelred and Simon had brilliant ideas. Ethelred's idea was that they should enlist the aid of Oswald and the mermaids to pull out the great plug at the bottom of the moat of Castle Cockatrice. Everyone was afraid that when the cockatrices were attacked, they might burn up the great books out of spite, and without them H.H. was powerless. But once the water level in the moat had dropped, as Ethelred pointed out, it would expose any number of large drains which led into the dungeon area where the great books were kept, and a picked group of creatures could make their way up the drains, overpower the sentries, and guard the great books from harm until the castle was taken." Everyone agreed that this was a splendid plan, and Oswald was despatched to see Miss Williams and Smith-Smith Brown, to explain the whole thing and ask for help. Simon's idea had come to him when watching Fenella. With the aid of some sealing wax and string and a candle flame, the three children had managed to mend the fire duckling's wing which, in a remarkably short space of time, had healed. The boys were having a conference on the best way of besieging Castle Cockatrice, and Fenella was jumping off the back of a chair and practising flying around the room. "'What we really want is an airplane, so that we can drop people inside the castle itself,' said Peter. "'What about balloons?' suggested Simon. "'Balloons?' asked Peter. "'Where would we get them?' "'Make them mooncalf jelly.' "'But how would they float?' asked Peter." Well, said Simon, you know that hot air rises, so why don't we fill the balloons with hot air? But how? asked Peter, puzzled. Fire drakes, said Simon. You know how hot Fenella is. Well, if we could get, say, twenty fire drakes inside a balloon, it would float, and what's more, I believe they could steer it by flapping their wings and all flying in the right direction. The boys made a small experimental balloon, and Fenella, who was eager to help, got into it. To Simon's delight, it worked perfectly, and Fenella could make the balloon fly around and around the room as she wanted. She was so overcome at her achievement that she got an attack of hiccups. I did it, hick, didn't I, Simon? Hick, she said delightedly. Did you, hick, see me turn at that hick corner, Peter? You were wonderful, Peter assured her. Now the thing is, how many fire drakes are there? asked Simon. Oh, hundreds, hick, said Fenella. At least, hic." two hundred, if not more. "'Could you get them to join us?' asked Simon. "'I'm sure I could, hick!' said Fenella. "'After I tell them how kind, hick, you've been to me, and how important it all is, hick, hick!' "'Well, could you go and ask them to join us here at the Crystal Caves?' asked Simon. "'Tell them this is going to be our headquarters for the big attack.' So Fenella, overjoyed at having a task of such immense importance to undertake, flew off, hiccuping, to enlist the aid of the fire-drakes. Then Parrot and the children paid another visit to Weaseldom, where Wensleydale greeted them warmly. He was having tea on the croquet lawn with Winifred. "'Did you get it? Did you get it?' he shrilled, jumping up and down in excitement. "'My, I'm so thrilled! How I wish my lumbago had not prevented me from coming with you!' We got plenty of rue, said Parrot, but H-H is keeping it under lock and key. We don't want you weasels getting out of hand like the cockatrices, so H-H just made up one big bottle of it. Silly Billy, said Wensley Dale, as if we would get out of hand. You know what quiet, peace-loving creatures we weasels are. Well, we're not taking any chances, said Parrot. Here's some rue juice, then. Who's going to try it? You? "'Normally I would be delighted,' said Wensleydale. "'But, ar, ooch, ooh, I still have a touch of my lumbago, ooh. "'I don't think it would be safe. "'No, I think it would be better to try it on the undergardener. "'He's a nice lad, but a very bad gardener. "'So if the stuff did turn out to be, er, uh, er, uh, well, you know, dangerous in any way, "'it wouldn't be such a loss.' "'It's not dangerous, you ninny,' said Parrot. "'Do you think H hasn't tested it?' All the same, said Wensleydale nervously, it had better be the undergardener. He's so looking forward to it and I wouldn't like to disappoint him. So the undergardener, whose name was Wilberforce, was sent for. They stood him in the middle of the croquet lawn for the experiment. Now Wilberforce, said Parrot, you understand this stuff is quite harmless, but after you've drunk it you're to tell me if you feel any different, you understand? Yes, sir, said Wilberforce who wore a bowler hat and large horn-rimmed spectacles, had stick-out teeth and a runny nose. "'You're going to drink that stuff, and I'm going to tell you if it makes me feel any better. Thank you, sir.' "'You see what I mean,' said Wensleydale in despair. "'Only the other day he pulled up all my daffodil bulbs and took them round to the kitchen, because he thought they were potatoes.' "'You haven't got it quite right,' said Parrot. "'You, Wilberforce, are going to drink this, "'and then you, Wilberforce, will tell me if you feel better. "'Do you understand?' "'Oh, yes, sir,' said Wilberforce. "'He took the bottle and gulped down a swig of it. "'It's a very curious name, Wilberforce,' whispered Peter to Simon, "'as they waited for something to happen. "'Very odd,' Simon agreed. "'Wilberforce stood there, blinking through his spectacles, "'and they all watched him.' For over five minutes he appeared to be exactly the same, and their hearts sank. Had they been to so much trouble and danger for nothing? "'How do you feel?' asked Parrot. Wilberforce blinked at him. "'I said, how do you feel?' asked Parrot loudly. "'I heard you the first time. There's no need to shout,' said Wilberforce. "'And what's it got to do with you how I feel, eh? Mind your own business, you interfering bird, or I'll knock your beak off.' "'Good gracious!' said Peter in astonishment. "'And as for you two, Wilberforce went on, "'striding across the lawn and shouting up at them, "'what right have you got to insult my name? "'Put your faces down here, "'and I'll knock them through the back of your heads.' "'Good heavens! This is most miraculous,' said Wensleydale. "'I've never seen anything like it.' "'Wilberforce wheeled around, and before anybody knew what he was doing, "'he had seized Wensleydale by his lace cravat, and was shaking him to and fro. "'As for you,' shouted Wilberforce, "'I'm sick and tired of you, you and your pernickety ways, that I am, "'and it's about time someone taught you a lesson that it is.' "'So saying, Wilberforce punched Wensleydale, Duke of Weaseldom, in the eye so hard "'that it knocked him back, so that he hit the tea-trolley, and upset it.' The children gazed in astonishment at Wensleydale, lying there covered in buttered toast and meringues, while Wilberforce danced around him. "'Get up and fight, you coward!' shouted Wilberforce. "'You lily-livered weasel, you! Get up, and I'll cut you to pieces, so I will. I'll cut both your ears off and knock all your teeth out.' It took the other six gardeners to subdue Wilberforce, and to lock him in the garden-shed. "'I think,' said Parrot, as they watched the moaning Wensleydale being carried into the house, "'I think that experiment is what you might call an unqualified universal and ubiquitous success, don't you?' The children agreed wholeheartedly. When Wensleydale recovered a bit, although his eye was very swollen, he promised that the whole of weaseldom would now join the fight against the cockatrices.' The children and Parrot went jubilantly back to the Crystal Caves. Now the Crystal Caves were all bustle, chatter, and work. The Griffins had rounded up a herd of moon-calves, and established them in one of the side tunnels, where they produced sheet after sheet of moon-calf jelly, which, uh, which Penelope, Dulcibel, and H. thought into balloons and other things that they would need. Out in a secluded moon-carrot meadow, Peter, now in his element, was training his battalion of unicorn cavalry— "'teaching them to trot, canter, wheel all together as one unit. "'The unicorns were very quick at learning, "'and before long Peter was really proud of their precision and skill. "'For several days Ethelred had been missing for long periods, "'and although the others had noticed, "'they had been too busy to give it much thought. "'Then he appeared one day just as Penelope had thought "'vast quantities of moon-calf jelly "'into seven fireproof suits for the weasels, "'and was feeling rather exhausted.' To her astonishment, Ethelred was wearing a tricorn hat with gold braid and a very smart uniform with gold epaulets and all sorts of gold braid around the sleeves. The coat was a very deep bottle green and the trousers were white. He was wearing a large sword with a silver scabbard. "Why, Ethelred, you look magnificent," said Penelope. "Oops, likes it," said Ethelred. "It's me commander-in-chief's uniform." "Really?" said Penelope. "What are you commander-in-chief of?" Come with me, and I'll show you," said Ethelred, and he led her into one of the side tunnels. There, to Penelope's surprise and delight, stood some fifty toads wearing lovely scarlet uniforms with brass buttons and pillbox hats with big black feathers in them, and carrying long, sharply pointed pikes and bows and arrows. But where did they come from? She asked, bewildered. Castle Cockatrice," said Ethelred. "'I didn't want to be the only toad helping you all, "'so I slipped down there, disguised as a Greek ship-owner "'with forty-two galleons to hire, "'and made all me relatives join.' "'Why, that's splendid,' said Penelope warmly. "'I know that H. H. will be simply delighted.' Ethelred took off his tricorn hat and cleared his throat. "'With your permission, Miss, "'I'd like to christen this bunch, er, brigade, "'Miss Penelope's Terrifying Toad Brigade.' "'Of course you may. That's most flattering,' said Penelope. "'Thank you, miss,' said Ethelred, gratified. "'I'm just taking them out for a little archery practice, "'so if you'd be so kind as to take the salute, like?' "'Of course,' said Penelope. "'Brigade! Shun!' shouted Ethelred. "'All the toads in their red uniforms stood at attention. "'Right wheel!' shouted Ethelred. "'Quick march!' "'The brigade obeyed him. "'As they marched past Penelope, Ethelred shouted, "'Eyes right!' and Penelope stood smartly at attention, saluting. "'Thank you, miss,' said Ethelred, when the brigade had marched away. "'I'm going to give them some target practice now. Some of them ain't half bad shots. One of them yesterday nearly put a harrow through me at.' Peter and Simon spent a lot of time in H.H.'s extensive library reading up on methods of attacking castles, and in one book they came across an illustration of a machine which they thought might well be useful. It was a form of giant catapult with a long arm, rather like a soup spoon. You pulled the arm back, put your ammunition in the bowl of the spoon, and then released it. The boys took some moon-calf jelly and thawed up one of these catapults, as an experiment, and it seemed to work. The next question was what to fire out of them, and the Griffins solved this. They suggested they make golden cannonballs. These proved to be a great success, and the Griffins turned out to be very good shots." Meanwhile, Fenella had returned from Werewolf Island, bringing with her all her friends and relatives. Penelope and the boys watched them arrive one evening after dark, and they agreed it was one of the most beautiful sights they had seen in Mythologia. The fire drakes came flying over the moonlit sea in a long, wavering, multicolored ribbon that looked very like a vivid rainbow come to life. As soon as they were installed in the crystal caves, Simon began experiments with his balloons. He found that for a balloon to lift a basket containing 30 fully-armed weasels, it required the power of 40 fire-drakes, so he could have a fleet of 15 balloons. The balloons worked perfectly, and the fire-drakes took tremendous pride in the way they could maneuver them through the sky. So everything was made ready. The corridors were full of drilling toads and weasels, the griffins and Tabitha worked hard manufacturing great piles of golden cannonballs, "'and Penelope spent hours attaching baskets to the balloons "'with specially thick silk that Dulcibel had spun for the purpose. "'Simon wanted to show everybody, "'with the aid of a large model he had made of Castle Cockatrice, "'exactly what they would have to do. "'The difficulty was to find a place to assemble them all. <clears throat> "'Oh, that's easy,' said H.H., H., when Simon put the problem to him. "'Use the banqueting hall.' "'I didn't know you had one,' said Simon.' "'Oh, yes,' said H. H. "'Come and I'll show you.' "'He led Simon along several corridors "'and threw open huge double doors. "'There was an immense room "'with a beautifully polished crystal floor "'lit by hundreds of wonderful mushroom chandeliers. "'Why, it's perfect,' said Simon in delight. "'We can even fit Oswald in here.' "'It will be nice to have it used,' said H. H. I "'I built it originally so that we could have balls "'and banquets indoors in case of rain.' "'Quite forgetting, of course, that I'm in charge of the weather here, "'so if I don't want it to rain, it doesn't. "'So it's never been used, which is a pity.' "'Well, we'll make good use of it now,' said Simon. "'The day before the big attack, "'everybody assembled in the great banqueting hall. "'There were rows and rows of excited weasels and toads, "'a great clattering, head-nodding group of unicorns, "'and a solid wedge of griffins, "'their leather aprons all glittering "'with specks and splashes of melted gold from the cannonballs.' There was a great quivering, squeaking mass of fire-drakes, like a huge moving flower-bed. There was Miss Williamson, Smith-Smith Brown and her young ladies, who had been transported there on Oswald's back. They were delighted to be on such intimate terms with the King of the Unicorns and the Duke of Weaseldom. There was Oswald himself, blue as a peacock's feather, ear-trumpet at the ready, and Tabitha looking pinker than normal with excitement.' At the big banqueting table at one end of the room sat what Simon called the high command. There was H.H. H., Parrot and Dulcibel, Ethelred, Penelope, and the boys. On the table in front of them was the model of Castle Cockatrice. When they were all assembled, Simon, who had been chosen as spokesman, rose to his feet, holding a long stick, and banged it on the table for silence. Gradually everyone stopped squeaking, whispering, and rustling, and silence fell. "'Ladies and gentlemen,' Simon began, "'I've been asked by H. H. to address you. "'You all know why we're here. "'Our objective is to take Castle Cockatrice, "'teach the Cockatrices a lesson, "'and above all to rescue the great books of government.' "'At this there was a great cheer, a stamping of feet, "'and a clapping of paws and hooves and hands. "'Now,' continued Simon, "'the point is this. "'We have only one opportunity, "'so we must make no mistakes.' That's why we're all gathered here, so that each one knows what he's going to do. The one thing we must prevent at all costs is the cockatrices destroying the great books out of spite, which, as you know, they are more than capable of doing. So our plan of attack must keep the enemy so busy, he won't have time to think of destroying the great books until it is too late. Now, we have some idea of what the cockatrices are up to, due to the bravery of two members of our group. First, Ethelred Toad here... "'who with incredible bravery and cunning disguised himself in a masterly way "'as an Indian snake-charmer, and made his way into Castle Cockatrice. "'There was a chorus of oohs and a burst of clapping, and Ethelred blushed. "'With the aid of a friend of his, who is a grass-snake, "'he entertained the cockatrices with conjuring tricks and snake-charming. "'He found out that, although the cockatrices don't know exactly what we are up to, "'they know we are up to something, and they're jolly nervous.' "'Ethelred let off a firework, and he says they all ran around in circles, "'bumping into each other.' "'There was a burst of laughing and clapping. "'Early this morning,' Simon went on, grinning, "'our one and only indomitable, inimitable, and intrepid Mr. Parrot "'carried out a daring aerial reconnaissance of the castle. "'There were cries of bravo and three cheers for Parrot, and much clapping. "'Parrot bowed to left and right.' He swooped down low over the battlements, and was able to see that the cockatrices have several cannons in position, and cauldrons of boiling oil as well. This seems to be their main defence. Apart from this, they seem to be relying on the moat and the great door to protect them. I may add that Mr. Parrot flew down low over the sentries on the battlements, and shouted, "'Look out! Look out! Your doom is approaching!' Whereupon, I am delighted to report, two of them got such a fright, they fell off the battlements into the moat." At this there was cheering and much laughter. However, Simon went on, although we may laugh, we must not underestimate our opponents. They are wicked, cruel, and dangerous. To show you how important it is that we win, I want Peter to read to you a set of the new regulations that the cockatrices plan to put into force when they are governing the country. Simon sat down, and Peter got to his feet, unrolled a parchment scroll, and started to read. Item 1. All phoenixes to be banished from Mythologia, together with any sea serpent more than five feet long. Blasted nerve, roared Oswald. Item two. All dragons to be used for pulling carts of heavy things, like building materials, for the cockatrices. Cheek, said Tabitha, going scarlet with rage. Item three. All unicorns to have their horns cut off, and be used to pull carriages for the cockatrices there was a great whinny of anger and a clattering of horns and hooves from the unicorns item 4 all toads to be used for hatching cockatrice eggs scrubbing floors and serving at table in the castle the toads' eyes all bulged with horror item 5 all mermaids to be used to pull boats and rafts for the cockatrices and to scrub out the moat around the castle 3 times a week the impudence! The impertinence! Scrub out motes! Me, what's so well connected! said Desdemona in a fury. Item six. All weasels to be used as nursemaids, cooks, footmen, gardeners, and so forth, at Castle Cockatrice. Me, Duke of Weaseldom, a cockatrice's nurse! said Wensleydale in horror. Me, a cockatrice's footman? Item seven. H. H. to work for the cockatrices and to help them with the spells. "'Never!' shouted H.H. "'Never, never, never!' "'And everybody clapped and cheered. "'Item eight. "'Things to be encouraged. "'An enormous increase in the number of cockatrices, "'so that they may rule the country. "'A steady increase in the number of mandrakes, werewolves, "'and other sober, intelligent, and likable members of the community.' And that is the end of uh, part one of chapter eight. And I'll continue with part two of chapter eight and the end of the book next time.